leaders, know the assignment. And I want to say specifically to the men here of Asante Church, it is my dream, it is the vision of this church, not that we would ever blow up and keep all of our people, all of our resources to ourselves, but the vision of this church from the very moment the idea of Asante Church popped into my head is that we would be a small church that makes a big impact. And in order to do that, that means that we have to be a church plant that plants churches along the way. If we're going to be a church plant that plants churches, that means that we need to raise up pastors within our flock, within our congregation that are elder qualified, that have a heart for the Lord, and then know how to lead and galvanize people around something much bigger than just their personalities or just their leadership ability or how creative they are, but around the gospel. And so this morning, I am praying, God, let there be men in this room that will be elder qualified through the discipleship that takes place here at Asante Church. God, let us not be a group of men that come together, that drink coffee, that pat each other on the butt on the way out and say, that was a good sermon. Let us be a group of men that rises to the occasion, that know the assignment, that we see, here we are at the end of time, and we've been born for such a time as this. Let us be a group of men that rally around that cause that lead around that cause, and that go and take the gospel into other neighborhoods that do not have the gospel around that same kingdom cause. So if you are a man in this room today, I am talking to you. If you are not yet feeling like you are a pastor, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would be called to be a pastor. If maybe you never go into pastoral ministry whatsoever, maybe you become a lay elder within this church, or maybe God calls you out to plant a church of your own. If you're a leader in the workplace, I pray that God would show you this morning that you are to lead just as we are called to lead as pastors. If you are a mother, if you are a father, I pray that you would see within this scripture that we are called to lead spiritually in the same way. So without any further ado, let's dive into this. We are at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Peter writes, having just said, suffer well, now he goes for the leadership of the church, the youth of the church, and then everybody within the church. He says, so I exhort the elders among you, the pastors, the spiritual leaders, as a fellow elder, and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that is Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We hone in on 1 Peter 5, verse 1, where Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. What Peter is saying is, hey, pastors, 
I am writing this to you as a pastor. I am not coming to you in my elevated status of Jesus' friend that walked the earth with him for three years. You see, at this point in Peter's ministry, he would have been a pretty big deal. It would have been like a really well-known pastor coming in here and giving an address to the leadership of this church and saying, hey, not that I am above you, but that I am in this with you. I am alongside you. I am a fellow elder. And I'm ready to walk the rest of this life out here at the end next to you. He not only says that he is with us in this fight as spiritual leaders, but that he is a witness of the suffering of Christ. This is Peter saying that he is somebody who is with Jesus in life. And this really means a lot, especially if you find yourself in leadership at any point, whether that's spiritual leadership, leadership in the workplace. If you're a Christian, I'm just going to go ahead and spill the beans. It's all spiritual leadership. That's just your mission field that God's called you to reach when you're not here at the church, when you're not in the community. God's entrusted souls for you to care for. He's entrusted relationships for you to look after. Peter saying, hey, I am not perfect in all of this. And yes, I did live my life out next to Jesus. But even as I live my life out next to Jesus, look at how many times I failed. When Jesus called me out on the water, yeah, I was the first of the chosen. Yeah, I was the first out of the boat. And as I stepped on the water, guess what, guys? Remember what happened? I doubted and I fell into the water. And as I thought I was drowning, Jesus had to come over to me and lift me up. I told Peter, I told Jesus I would never allow for him to be taken in the Garden of Gethsemane as I chopped the soldier's ear off. He told me to put it back on. I wasn't faithful in that moment. I was supposed to be watching out after Jesus, and what happened was I fell asleep. I told Jesus when he told me that, he, that I would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. No way, Jesus, not me. I know that's what you think, Jesus, but that's that's not me. That's not your boy. I'm Peter. Remember, you chose me first. I've been with you this whole time. And Peter's saying, here I am, a spiritual leader. Sure, some people could look at me as up here, but I am alongside you. I am a mess up. And if you feel like you are a mess up, we can look to Peter and we can say that God has always used mess ups and God is only ever going to continue to use mess ups. We continue to be made works of progress that are taken from something broken and messy that is clean and beautiful. Peter says, I lived next to Jesus. I lived my life out with Jesus. And not only that, but I'm someone who saw his suffering unto death. And it is because of that that I am now a partaker of glory. You see, what Peter continues to do here is something that he has just been adding strokes to in this painting of suffering always precedes glory. The suffering that Jesus underwent preceded the glory that Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father. The suffering that Jesus underwent is now something that we benefit from in our salvation, from our sins. Peter is saying, I am a partaker of glory because of the work of Jesus, and you are in this with me. Then we go to a big chunk of our message today, 1 Peter 5, 2 through 3. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is where Peter says, verse 5, 2, hey, church leadership, you listening? Hey, this is your 
assignment. Hey, shepherds, this is your assignment. Shepherd the flock that is among you, spiritual leaders. Hey, listen up. Lead spiritually the people that are around you. Hey, friends, listen up. Lead spiritually the friends that are around you. Hey, family members, listen up. Lead the family that is around you. Shepherd the flock that is among you. How are we supposed to do that? Peter gives it to us. It's the flock that is among you. That means that you are called to be with your sheep. They cannot be your sheep if you are not with them. If you're going to be with them, you are called to be present. We do not waste our time. I'm going to talk to potential future pastors that God, I'm praying, would raise up in this church. I want to talk to you right now. We do not spend our time getting caught up in growth and getting caught up in sheep that are not yet in the pen. God has called us to look after the members of the church, to shepherd the flock that is among us. I think what we can do as pastors, and I am certainly guilty of this, is get so caught up in the sheep that are out there that could be in here that we forget about the sheep that aren't here. We get so caught up in church growth that we forget about discipleship altogether. Jesus does not say in the Great Commission, go therefore and grow your church. He never says that. In fact, the Bible says that that's Jesus' job that God will grow his church. This church isn't mine. It belongs to God. I'm going to allow him to grow it. What Jesus does say is, go therefore, make disciples. You can't make disciples if you're looking up and if you're looking out. You need to be in the pen with your sheep. You need to be looking down. You need to be looking around. You need to be looking down because sheep leave messes, and I don't want you to step in one of those messes. You need to be looking around because there are sheep that you need to tend to. There are people that are hurting. There are people that need your care. Everything that Peter is writing here in chapter 5, verse 2, and really verse 3, it's all in opposition to some text that he would have known really well from the Old Testament. If you look at the prophet Ezekiel, if you have your Bibles, you can go to the 34th chapter of Ezekiel, verses 1 through 4. It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak have not been strengthened, the sick have not been healed, the injured have not been bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. What Ezekiel is saying is you've been selfish, and what Peter is just echoing is you have been selfish. You have been inwardly focused. So potential pastors, spiritual leaders, let this not be us. Let it not be said of us that we only take care of ourselves, that we have forgotten about other people. Let it not be said of us that we have abandoned those in need, that there has been no discipleship, that there has been no faith-filled prayer for healing, that there has been no tending to the hurt amongst our flocks, that there has been no recovery offered. Let nobody say that about the leadership within this church. Let nobody say that about the followers of Jesus in this church. Let, us, let nobody say that the lost have stayed lost. 
Let nobody say that we have forgotten how to lead in love. And then Peter addresses every single one of those arguments found in Ezekiel 34, 1 through 4, and 2 through 3, where he says, be ready to lead. He says, exercise oversight. So what does it look like to be ready? We get three statements here of do this, or don't do this, but do this. Don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. And he says, not under compulsion. That means do not lead others begrudgingly. Do not lead other people like you just have to. Do not lead other people out of a sense of duty. Look at the life of Jesus. That's what Peter is going to ask us to do over and over and over today. That's what he's been doing throughout this whole book. Look at the life of Jesus. When Jesus, whoever only operated out of the will of the Father, received power from the Spirit, goes to do the things that God has called him to do, do we ever see Jesus do those things begrudgingly? Do we see God tell Jesus, hey, go heal this blind man? Jesus says, no, I just really don't want to. I just, I got a really dry mouth today, God, and I just don't want to spit in the, in the dirt and make mud pies over this guy's eye. Jesus, when God tells Jesus, hey, go cast a demon out of this man, out of this woman. Does Jesus say, no, I'm kind of tired of dealing with the demons. No, Jesus always, only, ever operates out of love. It is never begrudgingly. It is never out of a sense of duty, but it is willingly. Jesus always leads out of love. C.S. Lewis has an awesome quote on this. We have two C.S. Lewis quotes today. We are one C.S. Lewis quote shy of a chapter of Narnia, and that's all right with me. I love C.S. Lewis. He says, a perfect man would never act from a sense of duty. He'd always want the right thing more than the wrong one. Duty is only a substitute for love of God and other people, like a crutch, which is a substitute for a leg. Most of us need the crutch at times, but of course it is idiotic to use the crutch when our own legs, our own loves, tastes, habits, etc. can do the journey on their own. That means that as spiritual leaders, as pastors, as leaders of our families, that we do the right thing even when we don't want to. Even when the sheep have been biting. Even when there is a mess all around you. Even when your kids have absolutely exhausted you. Even when your employees or your coworkers have absolutely worn you out. We continue to act in love, not out of duty, because I'm going to tell you this right now, there's enough suffering in the life of a Christian leader that duty will only ever get you so far. It always comes down to love. You always fall back on love, and I would say that that love comes from a calling, but that's spoiler alerts for what's next. Love everyone with real love, even the people that are tough to love. And then Peter says, not for shameful gain. This is Peter's way of saying what Paul says that we'll dive into here in a second of, do not be in this for the money. I Just, hey, spoiler alert, I don't know if you're sitting here thinking, hey, he's saying maybe potentially one day I could be a pastor. Maybe that's a good career path for me. I really, I really want to make a lot of money in my life. I just want you to know that won't be the case ever. In fact, there is a Christian historian that said believers and spiritual leaders during this time only kept enough to take care of their needs, and they put everything back outside of that to take care of the needs of others. 
So if you ever have excess, realize that it is not for you. We are not in this for the money. Chances are you will pay a lot of money to go to seminary, to go work a job that would probably never pay off the debt that you have from seminary. Hopefully it does before you die. There is a financial sacrifice that you take on when you enter into spiritual leadership. Not only that, but you are called to be a good steward of the resources God has entrusted to you. You put the money that you receive from the church back into the church as a leader of the church. What Peter is saying is do not take the message of the gospel and prostitute it out for riches. We have so many false teachers in our culture today that take the gospel, that take the free gift of true grace, and they capitalize on it to line their pockets, to fatten their wallets, and to pad their bank accounts. Let that not be said of you. Let it be said of you that as a spiritual leader, as a pastor, that you took the resources God gave to you and you invested them right back into the kingdom. Paul would put it like this to one of his disciples, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 3.3, When he's talking about the qualifications for pastors, he says, don't be a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. He writes to him in 2 Timothy again, he says, for people will be lovers of self and lovers of money. When he is discussing money here, he is discussing it in the account of false teachers, people that will take the good news of Jesus to buy jets to better their life, to hold over the heads of other people and say, if you just sow enough money into this ministry, you'll receive a blessing. Look, finances, they're the only place in the Bible where God says you can test them. And so I have to think that if we entrust back to God what he has entrusted to us, that God is going to continue to provide for us, he will continue to bless us because that's what the word said. But don't ever let it be said that if you give money to the church or if you give money to somebody's ministry that God's going to make you rich. God's not after your health, wealth, and happiness. This isn't some Joel Osteen kind of prosperity gospel that Peter is preaching here. I said, all right, if I step on your feelings, I'm sorry. That's a false teacher. What Peter says is that if we're going to worship God, that means we have to suffer for God. Sometimes we suffer financially. We're not in it for shameful gain. He writes to Titus, his other disciple. This is Paul. Again, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. And then Paul talking about himself in Acts 20 verse 33 says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel when he was with them doing ministry alongside them. I think there is a perfect example that we can look to in the life of Peter. You see, Peter followed Jesus for three years, and yes, he was broken, he was messed up, he made a lot of stupid decisions, a lot of mistakes. But at the end of the day, no matter how many times Peter messed up, Peter always loved the Lord. Peter always followed Jesus with his heart. There was a disciple that was around the same amount of time that was actually in it for his own shameful Gain. Do you know his name? Jesus put him in charge of the coin purse. He's the one that would sell Jesus out for silver. His name was Judas. Judas was in ministry, not for the hearts of people, not for his love for Jesus, but for his love for position. 
to position himself to where he could get the most out of Jesus, to use Jesus to better himself instead of allowing Jesus to really penetrate his life, penetrate his heart, and to be a better person because of who Jesus was in his life. Do not be in it for shameful gain, but eagerly. This means that we are called to be eager to teach and preach God's word and not for money. Now, it is okay if you are a pastor to collect a salary. Otherwise, I would be standing up here being sinful and hypocritical saying all of these things. You can look back to the Old Testament. It was the 11 tribes of Israel that took care of the Levite tribe, the 12th tribe, making sure that their needs were met. What Peter's saying here is that your view of money should be resource, not riches. Resource, not riches. Your view of money should be that it is God provided, that it needs to be well stewarded, that it needs to be kingdom invested, that it is not self-entitled, that it is not foolishly squandered or selfishly hoarded. Again, what God has entrusted to me, I will stay open-handed with, I will steward well, and I will invest back in his kingdom. If someone is to ask me for money, my hand is still open. They can still come and get it, and yet it is still open to receive it. It comes from God, it goes to others. It comes from God, it goes to others. Over and over again. And then the third statement, don't do this, do this. Peter says, don't be domineering. Don't misuse the power. Don't misuse the authority that you have been given in your spiritual leadership because misuse of power actually stunts the growth, spiritual growth, in the lives of others. Actually, a misuse of power from the position of authority that you've been given as a pastor, as a spiritual leader in someone's life can cause spiritual trauma. So don't go and misuse your power to hurt other people. Instead, look back to Jesus. Did Jesus ever use his power, his authority to hurt other people? No, the only people that got hurt by Jesus were the Pharisees who thought they didn't even need Jesus because they could live it out perfectly on their own, like they could earn their salvation. No. We take our power, we take our authority that's given to us from a calling from the Lord, and we humbly submit, and we get low, and we serve other people people. I think what you'll find is pastors, spiritual leaders within the church that are domineering are often church-focused over kingdom-focused. And some really good wisdom that I received once is that when you only focused on your church, you miss the kingdom of God. But when you focus on the kingdom of God, you will always get the church. It is foolish for me to stand up here and think that Asante Church is the perfect place for every single person in this room, because it's not true. Some of you may be better suited at another church, and I'm not trying to stand up here and hoard everyone for this church, but if God has called you here, then I know God can use you here, and I want to have a healthy view that God has a bigger picture, a healthier picture in mind than anything that I can dream up, and I want to submit myself to that, and so if that means you going somewhere else, yeah, it's really going to stink. It's going to hurt. But I welcome it. And I encourage you to follow God's will for your life. I want to have a kingdom picture, not just an our church picture. I want to be open-handed with our flock. If sheep need to transfer, they need to transfer. But may it be for the kingdom of heaven. May it be that the kingdom is displayed, that the gospel is advanced, that the church is strengthened. And then Peter says, not domineering, but as examples. He's saying, emulate Jesus' service. 
Again, he is the good shepherd. Humbly love and serve others to the point of now people can look to you as an example. That's a person I want to be like. That's a person that I want to follow. That's a person that is making sacrifice after sacrifice to love someone else, saying it's not about them. Maybe not even saying with their words, maybe just saying with their actions. Living the life that Jesus has called them to. That is someone that I want to be. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I want to close this section out by just reminding us that this right here, this way of living in the midst of suffering, in the midst of playing with the flu, in the midst of the assignment still being the same, in the midst of the stakes only rising as persecution goes up, as trials go up, as suffering goes up. This is a life that if you are living out of a sense of duty, you will fall short, you will burn out, you will fall into anxiety and depression time after time after time again because duty only gets you so far. There's only one thing that this lifestyle can be supported by, and that is a relationship with Jesus. And out of that relationship, a calling that he has put on your life. So what I'm saying to you right now is don't go into ministry unless God has called you to it. I'm standing here as a pastor saying, do not be a pastor unless God has called you to be a pastor. Do not be a spiritual leader unless God has called you to be a spiritual leader. It is a hard road to travel. And at the end of the road, you're only going to be judged more harshly than all of those that you were called to lead. So wait for the calling. And then every time it gets tough, every time you step in some poo that a sheep left, every time you get bit, every time something happens in your church, there's a loss, there is a transfer. Every time it hurts, you don't fall back on a sense of duty because that fails. You fall back on a thriving relationship with Jesus and a sense of calling that comes out of that relationship time and time and time again. And it is only then, at the end of your life of ministry, that you will be able to look back and say, man, God was faithful to me in this. And because God was faithful to me in this and I fell back on the calling, there have been no moral failures. There have been no abysmal happenings, no scandals that we've have taken away from my ministry. I didn't quit halfway through on what God called me to do because I fell back on that calling time and time again. Verse 4, we see that there is a reward. And when the chief priest appears, you will, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There is a reward. Peter's saying, hey, as a former elder, as a, an elder alongside you, Remember, I know exactly how hard this is going to be, but look forward to the glory that is ahead of you. Look forward to the life that is ahead. Look forward to the unfading crown of glory. That would be something that is put on someone's head like a king or a queen before an eternity. There is something that is ahead that is far greater than what you are experiencing now. I like to think of those, uh, those lost dog reward signs. We see a lot of those around the neighborhood here. Uh, hey, we got pictures now. This is a bad dog here. Lost dog, no reward. Keep the dog, okay? He's bit, you can tell that dog's bit some ankles, okay? Then you have $5,000. 
I just Googled these, all right, so you know they're real. $5,000 reward, lost dog. This bad boy's name is Hemi. Uh, he needs medication for his hips um, and a whole bunch of other things. I remember seeing these signs growing up and needing, like, you know, the latest Pokemon game, the latest Pokemon cards. And so me and all of my buddies around the neighborhood, this boy down the street named Matthew, we would get on our bikes. We'd rally everybody else up. I had pegs on the front of my bike and the back of my bike so I could get two more dog and or cat hunters to join us on this endeavor. And we could go out and find cats and we could find dogs and we could try to get some rewards for whatever it is that we were needing, whether the ice cream truck was going to come by later that afternoon, whatever it was. But here's the deal. We would never go after lost animals unless there was a reward. Why? Because the work was too hard. Okay, we're a bunch of fourth and fifth grade boys on huffies just moving up and down the streets of the neighborhood in July in Texas, we are sweating. We didn't even know about Gatorade back then. We're losing all kinds of electrolytes, trying to get these animals back home, trying to get some games to play. It was hard work. A couple times we got some cats cornered in some bushes. I don't even, it wasn't even the right cat. Like it didn't even match the description on the paper. Homeowners got really nervous. We couldn't even get the cat. A couple times we got some animals and we just thought, they don't match the description, but we know, we know how to paint things. Maybe, maybe that's going to do the trick, and it, it really never did. But the ones without reward, we never went after. Why? Because work was too hard. Peter reinsures us there is a reward. Elders, pastors, do not do this out of duty, out of greed, or out of a place of power. Those are sinful motivations in this Christian life. But what we work for is the unfading crown of glory, something that is given to us in our next life, something that we have to look forward to, to be handed and placed by Jesus. For the future elders that will be raised up within this church, to echo Paul, run the race with patience. To echo Peter and what Jacob preached on last week, continue to suffer well. And when you are coming to the end of yourself, remember that there is enough love in Jesus to get you through. That if you have been called to this by God, he will sustain you in this. God will get you through. If it's God's will that you would be a pastor, it's God's bill to make sure that you have everything you need to get through it faithfully. And remember that the reward is just ahead. Our last chunk of scripture this morning. 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, verse 5a, younger, gener- younger congregation, younger believers within the church, students, youth, kids ministry, etc., Peter's saying, hey, listen and do. It can be challenging for headstrong, immature believers to place themselves under the wisdom and the experience and the Holy Spirit-driven guidance of a more mature believer. Peter's saying, make sure you do this. Because remember, suffering is what we're talking about. Times are only going to get worse. And what happens with younger people as things get worse? Their volume just goes up. You know what doesn't always go up? Wisdom, prudence, stewardship. And so, young ones in the church, 
place yourself under the love, under the care, under the discipleship of the elders, under the spiritual leaders within the church. Be Luke Skywalker as he was to Yoda. Continue to apply the things that they teach you. Continue to grow. Continue to mature. We will need you to be strong one day. You may be the young ones, the immature ones in the church now, but one day you will be the church. We need you to be ready for that. You're going to be the next generation that takes the gospel to those who are lost so that they can be found. Know the word. Know your God. Know your calling. Know what is expected. Know the assignment. 5B, Peter's saying, everybody, hey, just stay humble. C.S. Lewis would say this. I'm saying two C.S. Lewis quotes in one message. Here we go. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but is thinking of yourself less. This means don't degrade yourself. Don't allow the enemy in on this process. Don't value yourself less. Don't introduce self-hatred. All of these are twisted from the enemy. They are twisted forms of humility, but instead continue to assess yourself in reference to God. Continue to look at him and trust in him. Simply put, think of yourself less and think of Jesus more. Remember, he is your example. You will never be more humble by just trying to be more humble. You will become more humble when you focus on the person who was the most humble, and that is Jesus. Jesus only ever operated out of humility. On the flip-flop, there's somebody who only ever operated out of pride, Satan. So die to the pride in your life, not by focusing on it, but by clinging and focusing on Jesus. I think what you will see is when we focus on Jesus that we see his power, we see his greatness. In contrast, we see our weakness, we see our frailty. We look at Jesus, we see his perfection, his holiness, we see our unrighteousness, we see our mess-ups, our mistakes, our habits, our addiction. And then hopefully we look at Jesus and we see his life and his love and his blood poured out on our behalf over and over and over again. This should be a cycle of service and gratitude in the life of the believer. I look to Jesus. I see his greatness. I see his power. I look at myself and I see everything that is opposite of that. And so I look back at Jesus. I see everything that I'm not, but I see that he made a way for me to live out of his strength and not out of my own. So I focus on Jesus, and that cycle repeats itself over and over and over in my life. And that is what I cling to when times get tough, when trials get harder. So how do we take all this? Take all this and apply it to our lives as we walk out of these doors today, as we celebrate our moms today. If you didn't get anything for your mom, all right, have her come meet me after service. We'll pray for 15 minutes. You just go to Dollar General. You get whatever you need. You come back. Let's just surprise her. All right, it's Mother's Day, if you didn't know. How do we apply this, this Mother's Day? It's pretty easy. Shepherds, lead well. Spiritual leaders, lead well. Lead like the good shepherd. His name was Jesus. Young believers, listen and do. Be like young Jesus. Even though he was in a place of power and authority that could have been over the rabbis that taught him, he still placed himself under their love, under their care, under their discipleship. Do the same with your parents. For everyone, Stay humble, stay focused on Jesus. Let's pray.